Welcome to the B Team Podcast. My name is Justin, and today we have a group pod that we're going to be doing. Uh, I'm sorry, that's we... not going to make me laugh. <laughs> as as we've been doing hey, with these Advent Calend- <laughs> as we do these Advent Calendar pods, I have Milos with me. Shit is full. There we go. Uh, we have John today, who's joining Christmas. Hans. All right, that didn't burst the levels too much. I didn't quite and, do it right because I can't get as uh, high as Bruce Willis, but gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And uh, we will have Josh joining us later on. Um, he is listening though because he is currently in traffic and his connection is not so great, uh, you know, when he's not home. So, but he will be joining us later on in the pod. <sighs> anyway, um, so uh, today. The film that we were going to be discussing is the 1988 American classic. It is the, one of the greatest. It is the greatest. It is the greatest Christmas movie to have ever been made. Forever and ever. It is Die Hard, starring Bruce Willis. And uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but Reginald Vell Johnson. And Paul Gleason and William Atherson and Atherton, Atherton whatever. My name is Peck. A- <laughs> Alan Rickman and the lady who plays John's wife. I don't know. Her Bonnie name. Bedelia. Bonnie D- Bedelia. There we go. And anyway. also, he recently departed uh, Clarence uh, Gilliard Jr. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes oh, yes. right. R.I.P. Anyway, so, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Theo and uh, Trevette from Walker, Texas Ranger. Um. Anyway, uh, this was directed by John McTiernan, who is also of uh, the Hunt for Red October and uh, uh, Predator fame, which uh, we oh. a favorite of mine. We should also do someday the Thirteenth Warrior. Oh, dude, that's the good. I know that was I a favorite of yours. There you go. Yes, that, that's I got uh, that's got Banderas in it, right? Antonio yeah. Banderas. Banderas yeah. and a bunch of Vikings. Yes. Yeah, there we go. There we go. I think I think I've seen that once or twice. It's never been one that I've really gone back to, but it's a hey. This is a reason to go back to if we do it. Um. Yeah, yeah I I I pod that definitely. Yeah. All right. So um. Has one of yeah. Those so this disgusting scenes that were. And they're oh, yeah. uh, washing their faces <laughs> in the water and just passing the bowl. No, <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so uh, this film was actually released in July of 1988. Um, most people don't believe it's a Christmas movie, despite its clear Christmas origins and Christmas uh, lore that goes with this. Uh, later, when Josh joins us, he can go on his diatribe of... Now, it is a Christmas movie because he did a wonderfully written piece for the uh, site that may not be known. Um, and, or named. Or named, yep. And uh, which is no longer existing, but that's okay. Um, the budget on this one was 25 to $35 million. It made uh, about $140, um, $140 million at the box office. It was passed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, made, and made, made less mo- money than. Uh... To, to make Polar Express. Yeah, no. 
<laughs> you couldn't, okay. couldn't even here's make a, here's a random here's a random fact I found that I don't know if you found this in your research, right? Okay. This is technically a sequel to a, a movie that Sinatra made called yep. the, the Detective. Yep. And, and apparently at the time they made this one, Sinatra was probably in his fifties, maybe. Mm-hmm. And they were contractually obligated to offer him the McLean role yep. because of the deal he had made to do the detective. And I believe he turned it down. Um, yep. Because uh, the detective is actually a novel. And this is actually also based on a novel called nothing lasts forever. Um, and it's all part of that series. Oh, okay. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I knew I've heard about that movie, the detective. I've never sat through it or anything. Yeah, no, I've, I've never watched it either. I think Josh has, um, but yeah, I've never, I've never watched it. Never read the books. You know me in books, so um, anyway, yeah. I buy them. I don't read them. Um, I just like looking at them. Yeah, pictures. yeah, I look at them and I go, I really should read that one someday. Um, anyway, so yeah, so uh, this film, it starts off a uh, plane ride to California. John McClane is a uh, New York City police uh, officer. He is heading towards uh, California because his family lives out in California because he is recently split with his wife. Um, they are separated. Um, she even goes by Holly Gennaro, which we find out later on in the film. Um, doesn't even have his last name. Uh, but this is part of their way of reconciling. And so the whole pur- purpose of this trip is that it's Christmas time. Uh, it is also Christmas in Hollis, Queens, but it's also Christmas out in L.A. And um, so what happens is he gets there. Um, her company is having their holiday party slash celebrating a big sale, big you know thing with the company. Um, and trouble happens once uh, some uh, quote-unquote terrorists hijack building. Um, Hans Gruber, who was played by the great and late Alan Rickman, um, and yeah. his uh, dastardly band of misfits, uh, take over the. Uh, uh, wow, why am I spacing the name of the building? Nakatomi. Nakatomi, thank you. Thank you. I was so busy trying to not mess things up that I messed things up. Um, You're fine. And uh, so, anyway. So they're there, um, and they believe they're there to hijack the building. In reality, they're there to rob the building. Uh, they want the bearer bonds that are in a safe um, from the uh, uh, company that uh, Holly works for. It's a Japanese company. I'm not going to try to say the name because, you know, me and names. Um, anyway, um, in the point of them trying to... Uh, get the uh, money, uh, they end up murdering uh, Holly's boss, which essentially turns her into the head person in charge of all the hostages, because she's now the highest-ranking person in the company at the moment. Um, meanwhile, uh, John ends up escaping from the party and becomes the person who tries to stop the hostages, well, stops the um, hostage-takers uh, from killing anybody or doing anything, and so... He ends up trying to kill some of them, uh, and then he gets the attention of the police. They send uh, Reginald Val Johnson, who you may know from Ghostbusters fame, from Family Matters, from uh, the Perfect Strangers. Is that what the was? Uh, I think so. I think Perfect Strangers was the one that was flipped out of uh, 
that uh, Family Matters came out of. Um, anyway, that sounds right. Yeah, and um, so anyway, um, he shows up. Um, and once uh, <laughs> once shit gets th- thrown out of the building, and uh, he gets fired on, uh, he realizes that there's actually a nine one one call going on there. And so uh, the rest of the police department shows up at the Nakami Plaza building. And uh, eventually it gets to the point where the FBI needs to be called in because they believe these are terrorists and that they have taken hostages. And so they have agents Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> no relation. No, rela- no, rela- no relation. <laughs> show up. And uh, so they start doing all the you know classic FBI negotiating tactics and stuff like that um you know they try to shoot on the hostages which i think is hilarious you know the guy thinks he's back in vietnam and uh he's just gonna start shooting on I was 13 dickhead <laughs> <laughs> and uh so han knew that hans knew that he that they were gonna play into this because they needed them to cut the power so they could get the last lock unlocked in the safe and so then uh Safe opens, they get all the Barabons, they stop loading it all up. Unfortunately, though, John McClane starts picking them off one by one until all that's left is Hans Gruber, who has John McClane's wife, Holly, after she finds out that that is Holly, uh, his wife, due to um, Ellis, uh, not Ellis, um, uh, the reporter. Yeah, I'm forgetting the reporter's name. But, um... Uh... I just call him uh, Peck from Ghostbusters, but yeah, call I just call him the reporter guy. Um, Thornburg. 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 Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Richard Thornburg. Yeah, he um, he uh, shows that um, those are actually John McLean and Holly Gennaro, the parents of the children that he sees. Uh, so Hans Hans takes her specifically hostage for the rest of the duration, so that way John has to try to save her. Um, meanwhile, uh, he, uh, so when John, you know, um, ends up getting to the climax of the movie, uh, Hans ends up falling out of the uh, window of the Nagatomi Plaza building, and you see him falling essentially to his death, uh, which is one of the funniest, probably my favorite line in the whole movie, is uh, the uh, late Paul Gleason, uh, who plays Dwayne T. Robinson, the LAPD uh, deputy chief. Um, he was also the principal in uh, Breakfast Club. Um, yep. He goes, God, I hope that's not a hostage. That cracks me up. I found it ridiculously funny when he was, after they make the fake, like, release all the political prisoners demands, and yep. he's literally spelling the name of a terrorist group or the phone to his secretary. And it was like some ridiculously simple word, like Dawn. He's like, D- yeah, Red Dawn. D-W-N. Dawn. He's like, I don't know what the fuck these things are. Anyway, yeah, so that that's how the, you know, almost the movie ends. And then one of the terrorists ends up coming back, tries to shoot John as he's walking out of the building. And in the probably the greatest moment of the movie, uh, throughout the movie, uh, we get you know talks between Al Powell, uh, the you know, uh, the person that Reg- uh, Reginald uh, Val Johnson plays, 
and Bruce Willis's character, John McClane. Uh, we get to know a lot about them. Uh, John McClane finds out that um, Al is basically a death jockey because he shot a kid in the line of duty, so he doesn't really draw his weapon anymore or anything like that. Um, one of the uh, greatest moments in the movie is that he, Al Paolo, ends up uh, uh, shooting the terrorist um, and uh, saves the day, saves John, and uh, kind of redeems himself from, uh, right. you know. Yeah, so it's a very nice moment. I really like it. It uh, kind of, you know, shows that bond that the two of them have gotten throughout the movie. Um, so, yeah, it's a, a very good, good fitting way to end the movie besides our guy coming out of nowhere. I'm saying yeah. this is how you spend Christmas. I gotta know how you spend New Year's. Uh, we we did. Thank you for going through the plot, man. We did skip. Uh, no problem. We, we do the first. Yeah, the, I know. First exposure. I know, thing. but I, I know, but I wanted to try to get the plot through first, so I, oh, yeah. I didn't forget and I didn't start mumbling stuff. Do that. Yeah. No. Do, yeah. Do so I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump here, in. Go ahead, Josh. Fix Justin, what I said. You can translate because I'm sure my connection is shitty. You did a pretty good job with the plot, except you forgot the whole secondary plot of the movie, starting with McLean killing Carl's little brother, which sets up the whole oh. throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah, McLean yeah, which, which the... And yeah. gets the detonators, and that's when we find mm -hmm. out the plan was there never were any hostages. He was trying to have mm -hmm. them all killed on the roof so that yep. he could fake his death and get away with the spray. Mm-hmm. How, and how have I seen this movie like 50 times and you just brought that to my attention for the first time ever? Holy shit. <laughs> because because Josh is a diehard super fan and that's it's why true. we needed him. The, the that's why we needed him on this pod. Before I go back on mute, uh, you can mention how this is a adaptation of the novel. Nothing lasts forever, which itself is a sequel to the Frank Sinatra vehicle, the detective. And we, we, uh, we did that. was the original contract that. We did that. We, as a result. We, we, did uh, that. we, we did cover that, oh, Josh, okay, but that's, that. that's all right. That's all right. Yeah, we, we had that. But uh, right. no, I, I appreciate you uh, bringing up the whole Carl thing because that's, that's who Al Powell uh, ends up shooting at the end is Carl, who um, basically has it out for John the entire time because, you know, he killed his brother, you know, basically ruined the whole plan. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so thank you, Josh, for joining. Uh, so later, I will get into how it's a Christmas movie, but the other thing that it is, and it's supposed to be, it's a Western, um, mm -hmm. and you you glossed over the McLean and Al Bell like, radio relationship. Yeah, I know. Well, I figured we'd get into that, into, like, the actual, like, you know, uh, you know, the discussion of the movie. All right. Uh, well, but yeah, yeah there is. I know you're going to butcher the line. Um, Marco comes running in, one of the worst dubs ever says, no more table. Where are you going, pal? You are a dog now. Next time you have chance to kill someone, use it. Wait. And McLean shoots the shit out of him. At which point he then takes the body and throws it out the window <laughs> to attract the attention of Al Pal. Yep. Um, <laughs> Al Pal was just out on the prowl because he was, you know, it's Christmas Eve and his wife is pregnant and he just wants to go home. And he mm -hmm. went to investigate Nakatomi and, you know, an, a fire alarm. Um, and the fire trucks are turned back by the guy in the lobby. So McLean has to resort to desperate measures. From then on, the two of them stay in constant, constant radio contact throughout the rest of the movie, with McLean even calling himself Roy after Roy Rogers, 
because he's obsessed mm-hmm. with westerns to which Hans plays along and sets up this whole motif of a western throughout the rest of the movie. Yippee ki yay, mother trucker. Exactly. All right, back on mute. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Josh, for clearing up all my plot my plot holes that I left there. Um, so we'll get back to uh, Josh will eventually tell us where he found this movie because he jumped in before I could ask him where he found this movie. Maybe I'll jump back in. Or not. So, uh, I John. With this movie, I'll... it was on cable every fucking weekend, mostly Sundays, like after Superman, they'd run it on WB11. And mm-hmm. uh, I was able to then just, you know, get the VHS. We wore that one out. We had Die Hard 2. We wore that one out. I saw Die Hard 3 in theaters. And when the DVDs came out, it was like these double disc special edition from Fox. I wish I still had them. These ridiculous, like, state-of-the-art CGI menus. And uh, for this one, the helicopter goes over the top of the building, and then the roof explodes. I had those. those I'm not surprised. Mm. All right, so, uh, John, uh, where did you come across this movie? Okay, so if this came out in July of 88, Mm. I would have been 10 years old. I would have been 10 years old. And... I, even at that age, was a fan of action films, but weirdly, I didn't see this right away. Mm. Um, I saw the ads and stuff and went like, the moonlighting dork in an action movie? No. No. <laughs> um, so then I did see it when it hit home video, and it became, and still is to this day, my favorite non-martial arts action film. So oh, nice. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Um and I, and I do try to watch this at least once a year, usually on Christmas. Uh won't do that this year since we just watched it for this recording. Um mm. but you know, it was close enough given that Christmas is a couple weeks from now. Um but yeah, yeah. I, mean, I have I absolutely love this movie. Willis is great. Uh Rickman is a it's a classic villain role and we'll We'll talk about, you know, I consider this movie to be a, a a subversion of what action movies at this time were, mm. you know, like took all the took all the standards of what an action movie at this time were and turned mm-hmm. them on their ear. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because everything at this time was Arnold and Sly and. Van you Damme, know, Ram- Rambo and, you know, yeah, and Rambo and Predator, which, I mean, even to a point, like, you can kind of see it in Predator, because Predator is, like, the macho film, but also you can see, like, some of the uh, John McTiernan-ness of the film, but this one, he really brings it home on this one, and he kind of, like, um, you know, takes all those things. I like to compare Die Hard to Scream, in a way. Where, okay. um, where like Scream is kind of like, I don't want to say a parody, but like there's a lot of homages to like horror films, but it's done in kind of like a like in jest almost, and it's done by Wes Craven, who basically like created not created, but like you know really fed into the slasher genre of horror movies. Um, Die Hard does that in a similar way for action movies, where it like really calls back to different action plots different action tropes, um, different yeah. things in different action movies. You know, a lot of the terrorist movies of, like, the 70s and 80s 
um, where like planes were getting hijacked. So then it ended up being a lot of terrorism stuff. Um, so you kind of get a little bit of that in there. You get like hostage negotiation stuff like, oh, yeah, this is the terrorism playbook, blah, 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 you know, stuff like that. And, um, you know, so I, I see a lot of it in there. And like, it's like, oh, yeah, they're going to do this. They're going to do that. And then obviously Hans does something different to subvert it. You know what I mean? Which is really great. Um, yeah, Milos, I mean, the big, Oh, Real quick, Justin, you, um, McTiernan saw one of my all-time favorite action movies, Towering Inferno, and he was like, I want my movie to be in a big-ass oh, yeah. building. Um, Die Hard, <laughs> I agree with you. I've never actually heard or thought that before, but yeah, kind of like what Scream did for horror in the 90s, Die Hard did for action in the late 80s going into the 90s, and as a result, Die Hard itself spanned a subgenre of diehard ripoffs that the only other thing in the semi-action genre is Jaws ripoffs. Um, mm. There are somewhere in the neighborhood of 225 diehard ripoffs, including the <laughs> phenomenal Skyscraper starring Anna Nicole Smith. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say Skyscraper with The Rock. <laughs> oh, that one too, but... Um... But no, yeah, Josh. Josh is. Yeah, uh, Josh. Josh is right though. I mean, you also had like, you know, it was always Die Hard in a, and it was like whatever. So, like for example, Air Force One is usually considered like if uh, is Die Hard in a plane, or uh, Speed is like Die Hard in a bus, or um, you know, these kinds of movies. Which actually, um, uh, the director of Speed. Which is and he's in John here because he's yeah John Demont. Um, no, he no, is no, the Jan no. Demont. Jan Demont, whatever. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Um, and then uh, he's the cinematographer of this film. Uh, oh. so there you go. Yeah, so there you go. So that uh, that throws it in there. Um, anyway, uh, Milos, uh, how did you get to this movie? Oh, so. That probably brought it home on VHS at one point. Mm. That was watched it. I think we instantly loved it. We were big fans of uh, action movies, yeah, in general. So this one fit right in. It became an instant classic, basically. So it's been one that you've watched since like childhood, so. Yeah, definitely. Nice, 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 nice. Like, yeah. like I've been saying a lot in these advent calendar movie, uh, these advent calendar films. Um, it's always interesting to hear how like Milos comes to some of these movies. Um, so yeah, so it kind of, kind of, kind of goes on track with like a rest, the rest of us on when we saw it. Um, I, I saw it when I was a kid. Um, I think I've said before that my mom was a big action movie person. Um, mostly like Mel Gibson, Steven Seagal, stuff like that, Arnold. Um, this was one of them that she had. We watched, instantly loved it. Um, you know, uh, started watching it all the time. Uh, became part of the Christmas movie um, rotation. Um, but obviously, as it became older, I started to appreciate this one more and more and more. Just because the more that I was able to comprehend, like, like the like the process of a story, um, how you write a story, how you know things are made, how they're filmed you know, little things here and there. Um, this one started growing and growing and growing on my on my list of movies. This is definitely a top 10 movie um, of all time. 
Uh, this is my number one Christmas movie of all time. Probably just spoiled. Anybody who's going to listen to my possible uh, solo pod on my Christmas rankings, but oh well, you know. Um, but yeah, this this is a this is a great movie. Um, you know, it's the the writing is fantastic. The the direction is fantastic. The acting is fantastic. Um, I mean, you know, I'm sure there's negatives I can find in this somewhere. Um, they're escaping me right now just because, you know, my love for this movie. Um, Alan Rickman's Bill Clay accent. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're one of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's, but, that's, but even, that's but even then, John, John instantly knew that this guy wasn't Bill Clay. So, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a reason why he gave him an unloaded gun. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I don't know if it was because he knew he wasn't who he said he was. Would he have given anybody that he didn't know a loaded gun? No, but I oh, mean, he no. probably definitely knew from his cigarettes, though. Oh. Because okay. European, European cigarettes are unfiltered, as opposed oh. to America. America's okay. got the filter. Well, they're not yeah. Just newsflash. Oh, I just saw the mystery no? for you, John. Yeah. I, I've noticed that when you don't like something, you tend not to pay attention to that scene. That is the scene where we find out what was really happening with the hostages. Because McLean says, yeah. wait, he was on the roof. What were you doing up there, Hans? And that's when he realized he had the detonators. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, yep. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just amazes me. I've seen this movie as many times as I have, and that's never occurred to me that he was trying to fake his own death, too. Um, mm. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I, let's, let's go into, um, John, what, what are some of your, uh, do you have like a favorite moment in the film? We can start with that. Um, you know, we started, I, we started with like where we found it. Do you have any particular moments in the film that you oh, like? In tons, tons, just, I mean, yeah. most of, not most of Willis's dialogue, but just the, the whole attitude of it, like. I mean, I think in a minute I'll get into like what I think the big, the big turning point for this movie as far as like how action movies were made after it. But like the big thing, the, my favorite line is actually when he first calls the nine one one thing, and they're like, and maybe it's because I saw this at ten or eleven, and I hadn't really watched that many movies with that much profanity in them too. Mm -hmm. Um. And he's on the nine one one line trying to get the cops to show up, and and the person and there's gunfire going on behind him, and the the woman on the line's like, "Sir, this is for emergencies." Like, no fucking shit, lady. Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, he just got so many good lines in this movie, and to me, oh, yeah. I mean, there's two ways in which this movie defined action movies going forward for me. The idea that and you talked about it earlier where most of the action movies before this were Arnold Stallone, Van Damme, Seagal, like guys who were just, you know, the minute you see them on screen, you're like, this guy's going to beat the snot out of people left and right. Right. Willis just plays. I mean, McLean's supposed to be a cop, but he's really just a guy. You know what I mean? Like there's no, he's not like particular, he's not built like a bodybuilder or anything mm -hmm. he's just a guy and he put well, that's what most cops look like you know yeah they're just guys yeah. 
and he and he gets beat up a lot in this mm-hmm. movie where I feel like Arnold and Stallone, even to this day, and somebody like Vin Diesel or The Rock now, they don't allow themselves to be beaten up in these movies. I think oh. um, even like Vin that was Diesel, that was actually um, yeah, that was actually a big thing in the Fast and Furious movie yeah. Well, um, yeah. with uh, Fast Five is that's why the the fight they had between the two of them ended in a draw because in their contract, neither one because of them lose. could lose. Yeah. yeah. Could lose a fight. So that's why they had to come to a yep. drawer in that movie in fast five. Yep. The other, the other big thing for me, and I also think this kind of redefined how villains were done in these movies, because prior to prior to this, I feel like a lot of, you know, like if you have an Arnold movie, the villains, just another competing meathead. Right. Mm. And yeah. with some, with somebody like Gruber, you know, the fact that he was just an intellectual and, mm-hmm. you know, and the fact that also, you know, and he was like, he's very, I almost like, you're not supposed to like him, but he plays, Rickman plays it in such a way where like, okay, I could at least kind of see why people would get behind this guy. Yep. Um, and and I think, I think this is the first time in like modern, uh, modern cinema that you really see that like. Um, the villain, the villain you like, yeah, you know what I and mean. Like, other, I think this kind of started that trend where they the tried to thing, make like a other, villain that you like, you know, tend to sympathize with or like, yep. or what? Maybe not sympathize, but I, like, yeah, I mean, you know, I, think I never cool. sympathize with him, but I could at yeah. least see kind of liking because of how he plays it. I could at least see kind of liking the guy, you know. Yeah. And the other thing for me was, uh, you know, so many of these movies prior to to this one all the the villain plots are legitimately like terrorist shit and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and the funny thing is like before, you know, he has that, that scene with Takagi where he's like, whoever said we were terrorists, like mm. at no point mm-hmm. in the movie is that actually said, yep. but before that, well, well but, it's, it's never, it's never said by them. But it's right. said by everybody else. Yeah, right. they just assume they're uh, terrorists because they're from Europe. The thing is, you know? it, there were so many action movies before this where that's exactly what the plots were that mm-hmm. the audience is almost hardwired to go like, "Oh, of course this is going to be your millionth terrorist plot," you mm-hmm. know. And it's in actuality, they're just trying to steal a bunch of fucking money, which mm-hmm. you know. I almost found sort of refreshing for that purpose where it's like, Oh, this is really trying to be something different. Like they can do all the things that terrorists would do, except they're actually just trying to steal money. Um, Well, they even, they call him out on it because they say you're, you're nothing but a common thief. And he goes, I am an exceptional exceptional thief. thief. (laughs) Yeah. And he's, I mean, Rickman's just so great with the exception of, you know, I don't it, it kind of loses me when he turn he turns into the American accent just because it's like that guy is clearly like faking this, you know, like it was so it's so overdone, like, but maybe that's also because I've seen it a hundred times and maybe the first couple times I didn't really notice as much. But I can see why I can also see why not that I didn't already know this. But every time I go back and watch this, like I can see why Brent wanted Rickman to play Doctor Doom, because mm. he would have been such a great Doom 
if somebody had cast him for it. I think even more than this role, uh, his Metatron in Dogma is just, you know, personification yep. of Doom right there. Oh, yeah. Yep. For me, he's got, for me, his top three roles are this Metatron and the guy in Galaxy Quest. I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> Galaxy Quest uh, was, what, episode like 12? We did that? Uh, right? Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was one of the early ones, yeah. Yeah, uh, go listen to that one if if you want to listen to it because uh, that was that was a pretty cool one that we did. That was one um, of the first retro movies we ever did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was actually, I don't know, it was probably my, I don't know, like third or fourth pod. I yeah. think I ever did on this, which that is might crazy. Have actually been that might have actually been the first retro movie show we ever did. It might have been, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, just to jump in a little bit, so um, we were talking earlier about all the people that declined played john mcclane in this movie um you did a pretty good job of mentioning a few of them but to be honest with you there was a shit ton that actually passed on this movie um okay. so besides frank sinatra and uh sylvester stallone and arnold who arnold um actually wanted to that was at the time he was doing twins so that was actually the reason why he didn't want to do it because he wanted to start doing more comedies as opposed no, to I the action a film crappy movie with devito no <laughs> and uh so anyway um some of the other actors that were either offered the role or they wanted them to star as the role um are sylvester stallone richard gear uh clint eastwood harrison ford burt reynolds nick nolte mel gibson Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson, Paul Newman, James Caan, and Al Pacino. That's pretty much the word I would have expected you to say. That was pretty much... So don't worry. He did? Which one was that? It's impossible to find. I can't remember the name of it right now. It's got a ridiculous cover of him on like water skis and two blonde bimbos, but it's as good as it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well it's you know it's him it's him reprising his role as uh you know uh reprising his role from um miami vice it sounds like Sonny yeah crockett. Sonny crockett and uh you know right before he decided to become nash bridges uh so yeah um anyway yeah so that was my little tidbit there um milos uh do you have uh like a favorite uh favorite part of the movie or do you have any kind of favorite lines you want to start off with or anything like that um uh, yeah i mean I can't really follow up on John. I think he mentioned, you know, pretty much, you know. I mean, you know, Ipikaies. I think you know the most memorable uh, as far as the quotes go. But it's like so many of one-liners, which I think was a big part of much all the '90s and uh, '80s action movies. Like you had, like you had a bunch of bad liners that somehow actually work those movies. And uh, yeah. I sound like I'm ordering a pizza. Still, yeah. <laughs> my my favorite thing ever in a Die Hard movie was actually from uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, oh boy! And we might have actually talked about this somewhere else, but I we've done so many of these I don't remember anymore. So there's that one bit in Die Hard with a Vengeance where uh, Jeremy Irons makes him wear the sandwich board with he mm-hmm. makes him go into the middle of Harlem with the phrase yep. "I hate n words" on it. Well, it yep. is actually, I'm not going to say yeah. it, but yeah, it's the um, actual yeah. N word. Yes. 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 But when you see it on, when you saw it on like cable, right. It was bleeped out. They changed it to, I hate everyone. Oh yeah. So 
So, like, there's this whole scene where the Samuel L. Jackson character comes out of his, I think he worked in a barbershop or whatever, a hardware store or something. He comes out and he's like, and having seen the original movie, like, it make, with the unedited movie, it makes sense, like, why he would be doing that. You know, he's like, you can't walk around with something saying, I hate N-words on it in the middle of Harlem. And in, uh, in the edited version, he's like, what are you doing walking around with something that says, I hate everyone on it. I'm just sitting in the corner laughing. And every I was with people who had never seen the uh, unedited version. And they're like, why is this this funny? Like, this is like a big deal. I said, if you had any idea. <laughs> you'd, um, you'd laugh too. But yeah, I mean, and also I think the, um, I don't know what you guys think of all the sequels and whatever, but uh, for me, the second one is okay. Um, the third one rebounds somewhat. Uh, it is, you know, it's pretty solid. And then the fourth and fifth are just a complete waste of time outside of maybe a couple of the action scenes. Yeah, so the five is go big or go home. Yeah, which they should have just probably went home. At that point, just go home. Yeah. 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 I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of um, really any of the sequels. Uh, I mean, the second one. Yeah, sure. Just because it's kind of like Die Hard in an airport. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know, it was a little too convoluted compared to the first one. You know, you got that extra, like, plot line of, like, them, like, trying to take over the government or whatever the hell it was. It's like, eh, all right. And then, um, honestly, not, uh, probably not all that overly thrilled with Die Hard with a Vengeance either, which I know is kind of a shock. I mean, a lot of people usually say that's, like, the second best one, but honestly, mine... My list, it kind of just goes from one to five, like um, in that order. Um, you know, I just basically just start disliking them more and more and more, um, mostly because of how great this first one is. Um, all the other ones kind of end up paling, you know, in, in no, comparison. That, makes that yeah. does make sense, actually. I mean, given how good this is, it's, it's, hard, it's a high bar. So, yeah. You know. and, uh, and I mean, like, like Josh said, I mean, my honestly, my favorite. Oh, we do. I'm one of the few people on the planet who really hates Die Hard with a Vengeance, except for Jeremy Irons. Hmm. Well, I, I wouldn't I say I hate like, it, well, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say I would say it's kind of like in that eh, like that meh section for me, where it's kind of like on the thing. Like I don't, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Like it's kind of just like I'm kind of indifferent about it. Um. But yeah, uh, but for me, um, one of my uh, my favorite moments in this movie are really between John and Al and that whole relationship that they create with each other. And, you know, it's kind of like that, you know, um, they're partners, but they've never met each other. Um, you know, they're, they're going through the same thing because they have a shared struggle. You know, he Al can instantly realize that, you know, he's a cop. You know, by the way he talks, way he thinks, you know. But then, like, you know, uh, Paul uh, Paul Gleason, he, um, you know, kind of is like, yeah, whatever. Like, you don't know what you're talking about, or whatever. And, um, you know, but he knows what's going on. And, you know, some of the conversations they have with each other, it really, really brings you that heart of this movie. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, I think I think all the all the stuff with with John and Al is great, and I think that's the reason why, like that ending scene where he shoots Carl 
um, I think is like one of the like crowning achievements of that movie because it's like it, it brings everything full circle because, you know, these two guys never met each other, you know, bonded over the radio. Now, all of a sudden, you know, Al, who, you know, has basically sworn off never using his gun again, never going out and, you know, getting in that kind of situation again because of what happened with him and the kid, um, you know, he's able to, you know, kind of suck it up and, uh, you know, do what needs to be done in the moment, you know, to save his new partner, you know, and I, and I think that's really good. And that's, uh, I don't know. I really like it. Yeah, no, that's, you know, there, there's a certain amount of like male bonding in this movie too, just through Mm -hmm. that. And I mean, I, I kind of wonder too, like I've seen interviews with the William Atherton, the guy who plays the reporter and Mm -hmm. he's like, I get so much shit from people who are like 40 and up because of, because of Peck and this role, like everyone hates me, you know? Yep. Oh, and then, and when, and when Holly just slugs him in the face, oh yeah. man, that is so awesome. And then John's just like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> She's a badass, get, you know? And then they get seated next to each other on a plane in Die Hard 2. Yeah. Yep, like, yep. Okay. Now, one, one thing I, I realized this time, right? And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, so there's a whole thing with, uh, you know, the, the, the guy in charge of the LAPD, right? The mm-hmm. breakfast club guy, like he's a complete yep. and total a-hole, right? Yep. And uh, Al starts pointing out like, maybe he's a cop because of this, 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 and this, right? Once the FBI people show up and maybe even, I feel like the LAPD might've done this once they got, they would have like figured out who all the hostages were. And then it probably would have come up somehow that, Bonnie Bedelia was married to a cop and that maybe he would have been there. <laughs> um, well, I mean, no one would have cared. And as he told yeah. him on the radio, he's like, if he is a cop, he needs to just sit there and do what he's being told. Like McLean yeah. by legal rights should have just been a hostage at that point and gone along with yeah. everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, usually in a hostage situation, you don't usually like try to figure out who per se the hostages are, because at that moment, you really don't know who they are. Um, You're really just trying to talk down the situation. Um, So that's why they usually have like a hostage negotiator. But um, they kind of like, I don't know, I guess they kind of breeze over that whole idea just because that really wasn't the point of the movie. Um, So so they don't really get into the weeds of it. As we saw in this movie. Um, the job of a hostage negotiator is to get the minimal amount of hostages killed. If you are ever mm. a hostage, your odds are not good, and law enforcement is not on your side. You are one hundred percent expendable. Yep, they just want the smallest number of people to end up that way in any situation. Yeah, like because it, yeah, because the problem is that they're expecting there to be losses. Um, they're just trying to minimize it essentially. And, um, you know, but I mean, obviously this, this movie takes it to like, you know, a a different level where like, you know, the guy is like, you know, openly shooting at the hostages on the, on the roof and stuff like that. Cause he thinks it's in Vietnam and stuff like that. So, I mean, there is free Waco. Yeah. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, so you know, it, 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 in the whole hostage negotiation part, I guess maybe that's where you can find the negatives in it, is that it really doesn't like, you know, show like what truly happens in one. But once again, 
you know, I don't really think that was really the point of the movie, to be honest. Here's one small thing I, I realized, too, that, um, you know, is relates to one of the side characters that we haven't brought up yet. So, um, you know, John gets to the building and there's the other guy who works for the company who's like weirdly hitting on his wife, uh, that guy Ellis. Yep. And I feel like in like an Arnold movie or a Stallone movie or something, when uh, Ellis is in that situation with Gruber and he uh, starts talking to Ellis on the radio or whatever, he would in an Arnold movie or a Stallone movie or something, he would have been perfectly content to allow Gruber to blow that guy's head off. Because it would have been like, no, they would have done yeah. a reveal where Ellis was in on it with Gruber. Okay, because my thought was like he would have, you know, like something like Stallone or Arnold would have been like, oh, go ahead, shoot the guy. He's mess- he wants to get with my wife or whatever. Whereas McLean actually doesn't like the guy, but he still tries to keep him from getting killed. Well, that's the that's the cop in him. Know you know what I mean? Tell him you lied. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the that's the cop in him because he doesn't want to see anybody killed. You know yeah, what I mean? So you know he's trying to yeah. you know he's kind of trying to talk it out. You know that you know basically what John is trying to do poorly is trying to have them focus on him rather than the hostages because he knows that you know hostages are going to die and he doesn't want Holly to die because he already knows that the the boss died. And so right. he knows that there's going to be more that will drop. So I'm thinking in 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 John's head, he's trying to be like, get all the attention on me, come after me, and leave the hostages alone. If I piss you off, then you're going to come after me rather than, you know, that's why he says, you know, I'm a fly in the ointment, yeah, pain exactly. in the ass. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he's trying to be essentially the decoy. Um, exactly. You know, but it, unfortunately, it doesn't really work out that well half the time. But Which you know, it's, it's well well meaning. Actually, leads to the wife's best line when one of the other one of the other guys gets all pissed off about something. He goes storming off, and she's like, and somebody she's with is like, "What's that about?" And she goes, "Only John could piss someone off that much." Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. So real quick, because I got to get on the highway. Um, sure. My favorite part of the movie, and hear me out, is when the mm-hmm. elevator explodes. Not when he drops the detonator down the big elevator shaft, but when he finally gets to the party at the end, the elevator randomly comes to the floor, dings, and then just fucking explodes for no reason. <laughs> and he goes like flying into the fountain. There's an explosion. There's a giant fountain out of nowhere. It's it's just insane. Um I, I like all the, the Western illusions. The other thing, we were talking about the edited versions. So here's here's a real uh, age barrier. Um, Die Hard 3, they redub Samuel L. Jackson to say Melon Farmer instead of Motherfucker. <laughs> all subsequent airings of Die Hard 1, the line is now Yippie Kaye, my friend. When we saw it oh. as kid, you were able to, they dubbed it on TV to yippee Kaye, and then it would cut to a completely dubbed old man voice that went, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> if you can find that shit on YouTube, it's worth it. Mm. <laughs> we'll oh keep it in God. mind. <laughs> oh, my, Mr. Falcon. Wow. You know, now okay. it's my friend, but, and so for anyone who really doesn't know, the whole back and forth with McLean and Hans, 
he's talking about the movie High Noon, which was Gary Cooper. Um, Queen kept calling back to Roy Rogers. So he says, I was always more partial to Roy Rogers, yippee Kaye, and then he just cuts off the thing. So at the <laughs> end, it becomes his catchphrase, and then, you know, now it's just like his parody level catchphrase. All right, yeah. I'm getting on the highway. I will catch you guys when I get home. I'll give you the whole Christmas breakdown. Cool. Okie dokie. Cool. But, um, yeah, so um, I was also looking up some other uh, little things here. Um, yeah, there was not really anything too interesting um, in terms of, like, the development and stuff like that, other than, like, you know, uh, it was rewritten a couple of times, stuff like that. Um, you know, obviously the legacy of this movie um goes beyond its movie. Um, you know, it's uh you know, uh this was one of the reasons why Bell Johnson ended up becoming um, you know, um Carl Winslow in Family Matters. Um uh, also the uh cultural impact in general. It's one of uh the United States Library of Congress uh selected movies. To be ver- to be preserved in the National Film Registry. Um, also, Bruce, Will- uh, Bruce Willis donated the undershirt he wore in the film to the uh, National Museum of American History at the Smithsonian. Um, and actually, the whole film was the huh? Wife beater. Yeah, wife. Yeah, you can't really call it a wife beater, so they call it an undershirt. Um, and um, uh, yeah. Could you imagine? Oh, the yeah. wife beater that John McLean wore in Die Hard. Wife beater wore by Bruce Willis in Die Hard. Yep. Um, and uh, this was also actually filmed um, at Fox Plaza because um, this was a 20th century Fox film. Um, so they filmed it at like the whole Fox Plaza there in, in uh, California. Um, so that was like where the whole basically action set took place. Um, and that's become a tourist attraction, obviously, because people want to go there and see the Nakatomi Plaza building. Um, and yeah, so, you know, and then like we said before, it spanned a whole bunch of stuff like Under Siege, Die Hard on a Battleship, Cliffhanger, Die Hard on a Mountain Speed, Die Hard on a Bus, Air Force One, Die Hard on a Plane, um, you know, uh, he said, and also it has a quote here from Bruce Willis himself, recalled being pitched a film that was called Die Hard in a Skyscraper. <laughs> and he said, he said he was sure it had already been done. <laughs> so, yeah, so, um, yeah, so anyway, uh, anyway, going back to the whole Christmas movie thing. So here's kind of like my, my whole idea of it. Um, Josh obviously will come back later. But um, since this is technically part of the Christmas film thing, um, so how does it end up becoming a Christmas movie? Um, we included this in the advent calendar for one reason and one reason only. It is the greatest Christmas movie ever. Um, yeah. People who, say, people who say it is not a Christmas movie um, just truly don't understand the meaning of Christmas. Um, so what happens is, um, this, this man, John McClane, he's trying to reconnect with his family. He goes across the country. It's Christmas. 
He's trying to get back with his wife. He's trying to spend time with his family. You know what I mean? He's going to this Christmas party, this holiday party, this non-denominational party that they're having at this wonderful Japanese business in the Nakatomi Plaza building. You know what yeah. I mean? He's trying to spread holiday cheer at this party. He's trying to get back together with his wife. What is more important in this time, in this season, than family and trying to get back together? How many movies have you seen on Hallmark or Lifetime where, you know, this lady comes from this big town and then has to go to this little town and learn the meaning of Christmas? Well, guess what? John McClane went from one big town to another big town to learn the meaning of Christmas, to learn the meaning of togetherness. You know, he bonds with Al Powell. He bonds with Holly. He bonds with Hans Gruber. You know what I mean? You know, they form these relationships, okay? And obviously, you got Christmas music going. You know, obviously, it's funny that all the, the shit falling from the sky at the end kind of resembles snow, which is a little hilarious. Um, you know, but it, it, it truly is a movie. Um, uh, not in the traditional sense, obviously, because usually in the traditional sense of a Christmas movie, um, you would see like, oh, ho, ho, like Santa and, you know, oh, we really can't stop this. You know, we got to stop this bank from buying the town because it's got charm and flair. You know what I mean? It's like. You know, you don't have like chestnuts warming by the open fire, but you know, you do have some fire coming out of the, you know, the elevator. It's kind of kind of on the same idea, you know what I mean? And um, you know, but but truly, 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 it is it is a Christmas movie at heart. Uh, Josh will obviously be able to explain it better. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, uh, you two got anything that you want to add to it? No, I mean, I I, I just want to point out. Uh... During the roast of Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis did point out that this is, in fact, not a Christmas movie. Bruce Willis movie. Okay, yeah, so okay. first of all, real life Bruce Willis, especially post-1995, fucking sucks. <laughs> Secondly, I'm, I'm not going to make it out of traffic. That's fine. If you got to translate for me, feel free. Um, Justin was pretty spot on until it got to the point of really satirical parody um, yeah i started i started kind of rambling so <laughs> that happens on the advent pods a lot i'm sure it's just it <clears throat> um, so one of the the topics we were going to do tonight and we can just do a streamlined version is what makes a christmas movie a christmas movie so for me the the really short succinct answer is christmas has to be integral to the plot now, you can have two types of these movies. You can have one that is just merely based on Christmas as, you know, 12 Angry Men is based on a courtroom trial. Um, it has nothing to do with the baseball game. But you could also have one, like Justin was alluding to, that has, like, all the, the Christmassy, you know, spirit of the season. And, yeah, you could have Santa. Or you could just have, like, something like in Home Alone where, like, you know, he finds, like, a nice homeless lady plays with pigeons and reconnects her with her family um die hard gives you the mix of both but more importantly the entire plot of the movie cannot take place any other time except for christmas and for me that is the number one go-to argument don't worry i have six um 
<laughs> so the reason is Hans plans the heist. He needs hostages that are going to be, you know, a very small amount. They're going to be drunk and they can be taken off guard. Okay, so that's a Christmas party. That's a New Year's party. Just so happens they're doing their party on Christmas Eve in the building itself. The building itself then has a very skeletal staff, no security. He's able to get his people in there. This translates to the entire city. The LAPD is, is running, you know, the night shift Al Pell, who can't wait to go home and, and be with his pregnant wife, so much so that he doesn't even really take seriously a threat of a fire alarm. They send the fire trucks because they have to, and he's the one that says, oh, there's nothing going on here. Screw this shit. You know, the emergency line is saying, oh, it's just people playing pranks on us for Christmas. Don't take it seriously. Uh, same thing goes for Con Ed when they need them to come and cut the power. Same thing for the FBI. They get like, you know, only two agents. There's no uh, real national news coverage, nothing going on. All of the things that McLean uses to kill the terrorists at the start and at the end are Christmas items that are only there because it's Christmas. Um, you know, he's able to kill Heinrich. He puts the Santa hat on him. He puts the writing on him, says, ho, 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 now I have a machine gun. Um, he starts, you know, counting off Christmas puns from then on. He's using markers for Christmas packing tape and Christmas presents. Uh, at the end, the gun taped to his back is with Christmas packing tape, which is like really the heavy duty kind that you only can get around Christmas. Um, you know, the, the whole thing that Justin was talking about, you have like three levels of what we could call holiday guilt. You've got Holly is trying to get McLean back herself. You've got McLean is trying to guilt Holly into sleeping with him at the Christmas party and taking him back. And then you've got everything with Al Pal. And like they give him the Christmas miracle of redeeming himself and he's able to save the day. Yeah, that's a pretty solid argument. Not that I didn't agree <laughs> with you anyway. Yeah, I think all four of us here are pretty sad on the fact that this is in fact a Christmas movie. Yeah, well, basically, basically, Josh was just able to kind of uh, better uh, eloquently explain uh, what I was trying to get out there, and that's that's why I really wanted him on this pod because uh, you know he does a a lot better job of of explaining it than I do. And well, the, the uh, you know, final nail in the coffin is the watch that Ellis gives Holly for closing the account is an early Christmas present, mm -hmm. and the symbolism is she has to get rid of the watch to get rid of her new, you know, burgeoning career as the director to be yep. the one to kill Hans. Right. Wow. Never thought of that. Well, cause, well yeah. Cause I mean, and that, and uh, I guess I was going to eventually bring that up. I kind of forgot to bring it up, but yeah, that's why they focus on the watch and she's sitting there trying to take it off because that watch you know, it's like, you know, you get that watch from your boss or whatever, and it kind of shows, like, that's her new life. You know, right. is this this life out here in California, you know what I mean? And with this guy, Ellis, who, you know, was trying to smooth in and become the new John, essentially. Um, and, you know, he's dead. And so now, you know, Holly is finally realizing what's important in life. You know, maybe it's not all career. Maybe it's some sort of balance, just like John's starting to realize. And so that symbolism of her taking off the watch 
And, you know, that being the reason why Han falls is just a symbolism of her letting go of all that. And, well, I, you know, I, I want to be clear here. Holly is 100% in the right in that argument, you know. You could say, like, well, maybe she shouldn't have that much of a focus on her career, but she got a job. He was like, congratulations. She moved to California. He was supposed to come three months later and said, nah, fuck that. So he just let her take the kids and then mm. stayed in New York. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, well, he's also, John's also not like, you know, the greatest person in the world, honestly, like, you know, morally, I guess. But, you know, eventually he kind of. I guess kind of becomes it, uh, you know, with, through this movie. And I think that's kind of the point is that like, that's kind of what the point of this movie was, is that he eventually becomes a little more, uh, um, caring, I guess, maybe the word, maybe not caring. I don't know. I don't really know what the word would be, but, um, more sympathetic, maybe Almost more like apathetic. He has a Christmas themed epiphany like Ebenezer Scrooge. Hmm. Yep. I was just about to say, like that's the Christmas theme, you know. Yep. Is he? Is he gonna? You have to have is, that character progress where he goes from. You know, he always goes for the better. There's a happy ending at the end, and all that stuff. Is he gonna become? Is John McClane gonna become the new uh, ghost of Christmas Present? Yeah, I mean, he might. <laughs> Josh, that goes that goes to a movie that you didn't see. That spirited. That was another movie that was oh, in I mean, our advent calendar. Get hit by a bus or anything, so yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of integral to the whole spirit thing. There's mm. also how many terrorists in this movie? Eight, twelve. Twelve. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah there you like go the 12 days of Christmas <gasps> are you kidding me really oh my god <laughs> question though who who else here who else here knew that the 12 days of Christmas is actually after Christmas what yeah the 12 the 12 days of Christmas are the well, 12 days after Christmas. Day, yeah. Mm. Yep. Huh. That's why the, the 12 days of Christmas actually end in like, it's like, uh, well, January 6th, I guess. Mid-January? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like Jan January 6th or 7th is uh, yeah. <laughs> when the 12 days of Christmas ends. <laughs> Now, I remember hearing a while ago, and I think this all got killed by the Disney merger and whatever, but at one point, Fox was going to do a sixth movie with, like, uh, Bruce Willis as McClane in, like, bookend moments, and it would have been some sort of, like, prequel when he was just an early New York cop. That sounds like young Indiana Jones. It sounds terrible. Oh yeah, yep, that's 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 essentially what it was going to become. Um, they had it all in the works where like he was going to intro the movie, and then it was going to be essentially like a younger actor playing him in the past, and then he was going to like pass it off to like somebody at the end of the movie. Yeah, that's well, that's Joe essentially Lewis, what it was going to be. Gordon Lewis, of course, he's the guy who plays young Bruce Willis. Gordon Levitt. <laughs> yeah, that's another one we should do someday. That one's good. I do have mm. to say I'm glad that prequel never happened. 
Yeah, that was one yeah. of the things that I was not all that sad to see go away after the after Disney bought Fox. I was like, yeah, we don't ever need that. Um, and to me, that's you know, that also kind of relates to where the later sequels, particularly four and five, kind of fail because mm-hmm. to me, like the first three at least, he still has that like regular guy vibe. And then four and five, he's just a standard like action superhero type. Yeah, well, I mean by okay. by four and by four and five, he's essentially Vin Diesel in the Fast and Furious movies, where you know he's able to like jump out of a moving plane into a building or something, and, and then have like, like a parking garage like ball on him, standing on the side of a plane, and just like no. Mm. You know. Yeah, but I mean, this is to me, this is an all timer. Yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, just great quotable lines. There's probably a bunch we didn't even bother with, but I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's, way, there's way too many lines to like, you know, sit here yeah. and quote or whatever. And I mean, and you know, I'm sure people don't want us to sit here and just quote lines all night. Something I mean, I'm my most used line whenever I am trying to get something accomplished. I will say, I'll kiss your fucking Dalmatian. And the first time I said in front of Sarah, she goes, is that dirty? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One thing I found myself, one thing I found myself asking while watching it for this, is this one of those, this has to be one of those, you know, we've, we've talked about, there are a couple of things we've reviewed in the past that we talked about the screenplays being essentially near perfect movies. This has to be close to that, right? Yeah, that that was like, that was uh, yeah. yeah, that was that was what I at the beginning I was like trying to find out like little things I could probably tear into it, but to be honest with you, I can't. I mean, you know, this is I mean, you know, like I said, you know, like Josh was saying, maybe uh, the Bill Clay voice, but like other than that, I mean, yeah, that's not a you know, it's, thing. I, that's not I know a it's like thing. that's just Rickman's yeah. ability to do an American accent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, at this point, like I don't really see anything as being outside noticed, of this. I even noticed, like, and I again, I don't know how I didn't see this in this way earlier. For the number of times I've seen this, but like that scene at the beginning before the when he's at the building but it's before the terrorist thing and he's in the party and mm-hmm. the wife gets pissed at him and slams the photograph down on the table and then Gruber goes into her office later and picks it up and sees them together and that's how he figures out who she actually is mm. you know and like well the well the whole point is that she, he was essentially in her office the whole time and didn't no. know because she had knocked that down. And it's right. like little yeah. things like that where, yeah, and it's little things like that. This movie is very good at like not only setting things up for later on, but it's very good at like, you know, um, you know, just like, I don't know, I guess not like uh, not giving things away, really, because it kind of just feeds into it because then it's like, well, then what is this this picture that's laying down? And so then, you know, when he picks it up, you know, you see the two pictures of them right as the as the news, uh, the news thing is going on. You know what I mean? It all kind of just happens all at once, you know? Yeah. Yep. No, I mean, this, you know. I I think you could. I think you could do. A, a, I mean, I, I don't want to see it, but I mean. 
there's ways to do a remake of this, I guess. I, I don't really think they should, but somebody well, will. To be honest with you, I think I think I think Skyscraper was like their way of trying to like remake Die Hard, um, even though they say it was based on um, Towering Inferno. Uh, br- yeah, Burning Inferno. It's uh, Towering Inferno. Yeah, Towering Inferno. Whatever. Um, you know, I mean, Towering okay, Inferno. Yeah. Uh, you know, Die Hard was essentially kind of based on that too. Uh, so if you're gonna make uh, on a movie with like American actors in it, and you're in a skyscraper, I mean, it's Die Hard. You know, that's what people and people were comparing it. People were but comparing skyscraper to Die Hard. In mm. Rock had a prosthetic leg in Skyscraper, which makes it a vastly different movie. Yeah. yeah. Did you get my sarcasm out of that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was very different. It was yeah. oozing. Losing sarcasm right there. Yeah. Mm. I don't mind that movie, but it's clearly a diehard rip. I mean, you know, yeah. it's a decent little movie, but it's not. I mean, the, but the problem is that it's 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 surface level diehard, though. You know yeah. what I mean? It's it's ripping on diehard of the later movie. Yeah. That's what it's doing, because it doesn't I have really the think... intelligence. It doesn't have the intelligence of the original diehard, which is which is what people the, uh... miss in that whole movie. Yeah, I actually think the best ripoff is Speed, mm. um, because it takes the Die Hard on a bus thing and you know adds the whole the whole ticking clock of the you know the bus can't go over this under mm-hmm. this this mileage or it's gonna blow up. Like other than the, I guess the detonators in this movie, there's you know that's the thing that Speed adds to that whole idea is. That whole idea, plus you know the sterling performance of Keanu Reeves, can uh, and 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 uh, Dennis Hopper. I mean, you yeah. can't forget Dennis Hopper in oh, that Hopper's movie. Great, but like that yeah. was obviously very early Keanu. Like, whoa, mm. no way. <laughs> <laughs> and I I love Keanu, but I mean, really, yeah. Well, so you know, yeah, you know, yeah. So I think. Yeah, I think uh oh no Milos, did you have something to add? No, no, just being sarcastic. Oh, now, all right. You guys have done more of these these advent movie advent shows than I have, obviously. Uh are there mm-hmm. any like thematic things relating to Christmas or certain uh uh things you like to bring out in these that we haven't done yet or um like no, not particularly. You know, I mean Josh did bring up the fact that he has the standard uh Christmas ending of you know giving you a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's pretty much that's pretty much the one thing that we kind of always go back to is um that all these movies, whether they're good, bad, and different, um, they always have kind of like that heartwarming thing to it. And I think we kind of hammer that home in this. That at the end, yeah, at the end it does give you a good feeling between not only the relationship with Holly and John, but then also John and Al. Um, and then, you know, maybe even throw Argyle in there too at a point, but, um, no. you know, here's I mean, the the... I had about, here's a question I had about the limo driver, right? Mm-hmm. Did McLean pay for that limo or no, did the, the, or did the company uh, send the guy? I, I think the company, the company sent the limo. Okay. Cause like what? Well, cause like if he was a, if he was sent by, uh, by Nakatomi or by Takagi or whatever. Why is he mm-hmm. still sitting there that whole time? Because he was locked inside. 
Oh, yeah, because the because the they yeah, locked the they locked the parking. Yeah, when they were coming out, uh, John McClane told him like he doesn't know how the night was gonna go. Yeah, he needed a ride to a hotel or not. So he, our guy was basically like, "I'm gonna wait for you, and if things mm-hmm. go well, uh, you know, you're not gonna need me. But in case you do, here's my phone number. I'm gonna be chilling and just call me and I'll pick you up. I know a real good hotel." Plus, yeah. plus, like, plus, like he was saying was to his girlfriend to his on the phone. And yeah, and he's like, "Oh, my boss there. thinks I'm going to Vegas right now." Uh-huh. Yeah. So he yeah. was in no real hurry to go, you know. And and then, but then at the time, you know, what happened is once Hans got there and they got control of the control room and everything, there's a there was like a gate, like an electric gate thing, like a fence that came down for the parking garage thing underneath the building. And so he ended up getting stuck in there because when he tries to leave, he approaches the gate and it's locked. And so that's yeah. why he just kind of finds a corner and just kind of chills in there and just listens to everything on the radio. Um, but then at the end, once he finds out everything is happening, he busts through the gate and that's how he gets out of there. And they, that's right. when they almost like start shooting at him. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, this is great. I love the fact that you guys are doing these uh, Advent movies. I think it's great that we kind of do we try to do like thematic stuff for Halloween and Christmas and whatnot. Um, I don't see a lot of things covering Christmas movies in general. So, um, yeah, I mean, even even like we, we were talking about it while I was talking about it, I think on a few pods already for this. Um, they uh, they're really dropping the ball, especially this year on like Christmas movies and stuff, because even Freeform, which is usually like the Christmas movie channel or whatever throughout yeah. Christmas, all they're really doing is playing Home Alone double features like like a bunch of times. Just like they did with Halloween. Halloween they basically just played Focus Pocus like fifteen times during the month and called it a day and then added in like Maleficent. And like yeah. um maybe they played Halloween Town once. Um and then maybe some other movie. But for the most part, it was basically just like Hocus Pocus. And I was like, this is very lazy programming. And then yeah. for Christmas, it's basically just um, the Santa Claus movies, the Santa Claus trilogy a bunch of times, double features of Home Alone all the time. Well, plus, and then yeah. and then they have all the Toy Story movies, which I'm like, Toy Story isn't even Christmas. Which have nothing like, to why? do with Christmas. Yeah. Just toys. I mean, I love yeah. those movies, but it has nothing to do with Christmas. Just um, like last year, they had Shrek. I'm like, yeah. I love Shrek and all, but like, what the fuck is Christmas about Shrek? Yep. We'll uh, very... get you to watch some terrible Christmas horror movies. Don't worry. Oh <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this. Josh has already as got some lists uh, going on. So. As far as theatrical movies, I, I mean, this year it's basically just that Violent Night thing, and mm. I don't see anything else really. Um, yeah, which I'm I'm planning on seeing at some point. I uh, haven't really mentioned it to anybody to see if they were going. So uh, yeah, I got to. Uh, I gotta find out if, go uh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. no, I know, like you. Yeah, I know, I know you're going, but I meant like you know people that I can go with, like around here. Like I don't know if like my siblings want to go or anything like that. So I gotta question them and find out if they want to go and stuff like that. I'm sure my brother or my sister will want to go, or uh, maybe my one of my buddies will want to go. So I don't know. Corey, we'll wants to, Corey wants to see it, but she's content to wait for home video on it. So yeah. Yeah, It'll be on you know. Peacock in like three months. He's not wrong. It probably yeah, will be. Probably. It'll probably be on Peacock in a month. But it's yeah. like, you know, 
I'd uh, I'd rather see it in a movie theater just because you know I'm very interested in it. So I don't know. I've got a big TV. Plus, it's something I think to I do. <laughs> yeah. Plus, it's something to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially uh, you know, my last two Decembers really haven't been the greatest. So getting out and doing things in December is uh, pretty cool. So yeah, that's great, man. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm looking. It's like basically Wild and Night and Avatar two are the only two. Could always go to Avatar. Oh wait, no. Uh, there are worse. Uh, that's okay. I'd I'd rather I'd rather go spend the money and watch fucking Honda Forever again with the Takalakians. I would well, I would sooner slam my head into a wall repeatedly for the three hour fifteen minute runtime than pay money for that thing. Oh yeah, we're watching that one at home if at all, but. I'm glad I jumped on when I did. I hope my audio is not completely fucked because I only just got. No, you were, no, you were, you were pretty good. Yeah, you were pretty good. It's when we listen back. Yeah, uh, yeah, it sounds uh, fine now. We'll see what it turns out like. Yeah. yeah. You know, so. listen back. It sounds like fucking Charlie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So as far as other things we have coming up, you guys are going to obviously continue to do these for a little bit. What's the mm-hmm. goal? To go, go through the 25th? Or... Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the goal. Okay. Is, uh, get as I guess go, get as close to the 25th as possible. Um, uh, we got a pretty good list going. Um, yeah, I think I'm so far... So far, we've done how many have we done? Well, yeah, as, yeah. Of re- as of oh. as of recording this, we've done uh, this is going to be the 13th one we've recorded. Um, this one is obviously not going to be the 13th one we release. Uh, so yeah, so right now, um, you know, this one's probably going to be, I don't know, probably like day like 15, 16, 17, something like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, we've we've done we've gotten about 12 to 13 of them done right now. Um, so yeah, pretty good. Uh, we got, um, by the time you listen to this, you'll probably have already heard, uh, I'll be home for Christmas, uh, Polar Express, uh, Home Alone 2, um, probably Jingle All the Way, maybe, Love Actually. Um, so you'll probably have already heard all those by the time you listen to this one. Um, I will, I will oh, watch Love Actually this weekend for the purposes of that. Yeah, and, and me and Josh plan on doing, uh, the Rankin Bass movies at some point. Um, he also has, as he said, some horror movies that uh, Which I we get to part Milo in. To as the Baskin Robin movie, some Baskin yes, Robin yes, movie yes, 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 yes. Which honestly, there's probably 31. It's probably 31 of those movies made, so kind of fits in with the 31 different flavors, I guess. Um, dang, uh, yeah, I guess. So. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we got a we got a nice little list going. Um, yeah, you know, think- got some got some first timers for me um some first timers for uh milos so yeah hopefully everybody is enjoying this uh advent calendar uh thing this was a fun thing to put together and uh, it's kind of interesting can, when we record the love actually one we can crank out a quick you and i can crank out a quick on elf if you want all right yeah that's fine if, if you still want to do that one we yeah, can no, do that I, one if, for if you're short and we need one more we can definitely do that all right so let me know when we're doing batman returns Oh yeah, I will let you know. We are that's on the list. No, it is not on. It's no, it's not on the list. But no, I, I, I will make an didn't exception. Realize it was on the list. Yeah, no, it's it's not on the list, unfortunately. But uh, um, you know, maybe that can be a little uh, 
you know, we, we did have a, a B sides, um, uh, planned. Uh, maybe that'll just be like Christmas movies that aren't considered Christmas movies type of thing. And we'll put that in. Maybe we'll talk a little lethal weapon. Maybe we'll talk a little, uh, you know, find some other, other Christmas adjacent movies, um, that we can throw in there. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, let me know if there's anything else, you know, that um, that you might want me for for those. Okay. And, uh, yeah, cool. All right. Well, you guys are more than welcome on any of the pods. Just let me know. Uh, we got our little list going in the yeah. Yippee ki yay, mother trucker. <laughs> All right, boys. <laughs> All right. All right.